listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. So we're jumping in. Nine mentalities that, yeah, the literal count, Leslie said, we'll put it up on the screen. Nine mentalities we've got to avoid to walk in the power, presence of God and to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. These will take you out of your purpose. These will take you out of your calling and they'll ensure that you don't do anything powerful for the Lord. It's a dangerous place to be. And there are things that the enemy will use to try to get you uh, out of position to be blessed by God. And so I want to deal with them. Nine mentalities, and you can put them in the comments. As we deal with scriptures, you can put them in. Those listening on the podcast, share it on social. These will help you. Nine mentalities that you've got to avoid in order to not be a loser in the kingdom of God. Somebody that's not accomplishing uh, their purpose, not walking in the power of God. Number one, the first mentality that you've got to get out immediately is the victim mentality. The victim mentality. It's so dangerous to live with a victim mentality. It's opposite. It's contradictory to the word of God. No Christian, no child of God should ever view themselves as a victim. Ever. Because if you understand the way that God has transferred power and authority to the believer, you can't look at yourself through what we call Paul's revelation. Sometimes it's called Pauline revelation. The things Paul taught in the New Testament, you can't have that opinion and also have a victim mentality opinion. You honestly can't have both, right? You can't look at it and say, well, yeah, you know, I'm a victim. That's how, you know, I've had too much happen to me. That's why I can't, that's why I can't do. That's why I can't produce. That's why I can't have. That's why I can't go. It's a victim mentality. It's prevalent in our generation. It's prevalent in 2021 and everybody wants to be a victim. So they don't have to address things in their lives that they need to take responsibility for. And so everybody plays the victim. Everybody wants to be a victim. That does not mean there aren't true victims but you don't stay a victim for the rest of your life. If you've had something happen to you, I understand that there are legitimate victims, but that doesn't mean we stay there for the rest of our lives. You've got to come out of that. You've got to be healed. You've got to be delivered. You've got to move forward. You've got to move forward. If you're going to see the blessing of God an increase, you've got to move forward. And so how can you have the opinion of yourself which is the, uh, aligns itself with Paul's teaching with new Testament theology and still call yourself a victim. Well, what is new Testament theology? What is Paul's teaching? Well, Paul's teaching what the Holy spirit revealed to him is that, uh, we always are victorious in first Corinthians 15 and verse 57, Paul said, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks 
be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You can't be a victor and a victim at the same time. You're either going to live as a victor, you're going to live victoriously, or you're going to live as a victim. You're going to live as a victim. What did he say to the Romans? I mean, look at what Paul wrote to the Roman church. Let's look at Romans chapter eight and see what he said. Talking about the everlasting love of God. I'll go back to verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans eight thirty-five. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All of those things could throw you into a victim mentality. All of them. Let me read them again. Tribulation. I'm a victim. I've been going through tribulation. Distress. Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But verse 37, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all what things? The things he just listed. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Notice what he said. No, not only can those things not separate you from the love of Christ, but also we are more than conquerors in all of those things through him that loved us. And so just because the devil attacks you, it doesn't make you a victim. You can still fight the good fight of faith and be victorious and call yourself more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. So he said, we always have the victory. We are more than conquerors. You go on further and understand that the Bible teaches that Christ has transferred to us all authority over the power of the devil, all authority. So we've got all authority. We're more than conquerors. And we've got the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We cannot remain victims and live with a victim mentality. This, let me tell you, when you see people that constantly live in a victim mentality, it takes them out of production mode and puts them into a mode where they're looking for everybody to just be a help to them. I just need people to be a help to me. I need people to lift me up. I'm always looking for a handout and a leg up. Oh, I just, and you look at yourself as inferior because you've been victimized, that you've been put in a place where something happened to me. Something's happened to everybody. I know it's at varying degrees, but you've got to learn to walk in victory. You've got to learn how to overcome. And many times it's a mental thing that people have not renewed their minds to uh, what the word of God says. Watch why I'm giving you scripture. Many people have not renewed their minds to what the scripture teaches. And so they live with a victim mentality and it'll crush you. It'll keep you in a place where you cannot produce for God. So number one is a victim mentality. Get out of that as quickly as you can. Um, Number two is a mentality of constant anger. That's how you live your life. 
Constant anger. Angry at everybody. Angry all the time. Can't get free from anger. I've seen people like this and anger rules them. I mean, literally keeps them in a place where they, ca- they can't, they, it's like a, a bondage. It's like an invisible prison where they just walk around constantly in anger. And maybe that's because of something that's happened to them. Maybe they've been mistreated. Maybe they've had abuse, maybe verbal abuse, physical abuse, whatever it might be. And because of the things that have happened, they're just angry. They're angry about the past. They're angry about what's happened to them. And they don't ever get past that anger. But living in constant anger will leave you with a life of a loser. No question about it. If you can't get free from unbridled anger, it will cause you to fail. It'll cause you to fail in every area of life. You cannot be a Christian, a child of God, and live in constant anger. In fact, uh, it goes against the fruit of the Spirit. Whether you believe that's the fruit of a renewed spirit or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it goes against the principles of the fruit of the Spirit. How are you going to walk in love if you're constantly angry? How are you going, if, if that thing controls you, if it controls you, and the Bible tells us that we're not to be controlled by that carnal nature, right? Let me, uh, let me take you quickly to Romans 12. And, and the Bible says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so don't be conformed to this world. This world lives in anger. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Constantly renew your mind. Constantly renew your mind. Now, Sarah asks, is there such a thing as righteous anger? Absolutely. Righteous indignation. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we can be angry and sin not, but most people do not, that that are controlled by carnal anger, that they don't have the ability to do that because they're already in a carnal state. And so if they're going to be angry in a carnal way, it will force them or push them to take actions that stem from anger. And you can't live that way. But righteous anger is a good thing. Jesus operated in righteous anger and he never sinned. Do you think Jesus was happy or angry when he went into the temple and saw that they were selling sacrifices for more than they were supposed to according to the law? He was angry. And he flipped their tables and beat them out of the temple. And he never sinned. He, was, he had a righteous indignation. He was, and the Bible even says that when his disciples saw him do it, they recounted the words of the psalmist. That zeal for your house consumes me. Zeal for your house consumes me. And so you understand that you can be angry for things that God is angry about. But when you're just carnally angry at people all the time, you'll live in bondage to that anger. It will be an invisible prison to your life that will keep you from victory. Because listen, if faith works by love, 
or manifests itself through love. That's Galatians 5, 6, by the way. If faith works by love or manifests itself through love, how can you operate in faith if you're not in love? Love is the thing that lets your faith work. So walking in love is essential to walking in faith or walking by faith. And the Bible says the just shall live by faith. The just shall, we walk by faith and not by sight. You can't walk by faith if you're not walking in love. That's something you should put in the comments. You can't walk by faith if you're not walking in love. You can't walk by faith if you're not walking in love. No question about that. Even, I mean, it's funny. You go to the thing that Jesus taught to his disciples that everybody likes to pull out and quote Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24. And it blows my mind that they always stop at verse 24 because they miss a big part of the context of this passage. And we always like to focus on the fact that Jesus is telling them, speak to the mountain, command it to be cast into the sea. If you don't doubt in your heart, you'll have whatsoever you say. And they, they go through all that and they finish uh, whatever, you, you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. They stop there. But look at verse 25. Jesus isn't done talking. Before the context changes and before it moves on in time to another uh, moment with Christ and his disciples, look how Jesus finishes that thought. Whatever you desire in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Then he says, and it's connecting these two together. And whenever you stand praying, see, he's still talking about the same thing, prayer and receiving what you pray. And whenever you stand praying, forgive forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who's also in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Hmm. So in the same context of walking by faith and having what God said is yours and confessing whatever at prayer, whatever you want to teach from that passage, don't leave out 25 because 25 is key when it comes to receiving the blessings of God. If faith works by love, how are you going to stand up and do all these things and ask God to do all these things and you don't even love your neighbor because you're angry at him all the time? Walking in constant anger. It's dangerous and it pulls you out of faith and stops your faith from working. It literally will stop. Oh, there it is. Hit the bell. Hit the bell. It will stop. I said literally. It It will stop your faith from functioning. And you'll be in a place where you won't see the manifestations you're believing for because you aren't walking in love. I'm going to give you number three that goes right along with it, but it needs to be talked about separately. And I saw the question a moment ago, uh, can faith, uh, can, can anger manifest itself in depression? And, and so I'm, I'm going to deal with that separately, but I'll, I'll get to it. Number three is the mentality of constant offense constant offense. The bell emojis are going up. All the bell emojis. Ding. Uh, constant offense. That's number three. This is the third mentality we're dealing with that you've got to get rid of. I can't, there are so many of these people in the church. So many of these people in the church. 
I I'm blown away. So quick to be offended at everything. And by the way, that's the, uh, forget just the church, that's the day and age we're living in in the world. It's cancel culture, baby. Everybody's offended about everything. Everybody's offended about everything. <laughs> you know, how, how petty, how small do you have to be to be angry about the Dr. Seuss book, the, the Dr. Seuss book that has the line in it, a Chinaman with sticks. Like that's what they were mad about. They want to cancel that book because of the picture that was drawn that was like a stereotypical Chinese person holding chopsticks. How is that racist? If you go to China, they are eating with chopsticks. I mean, like they are, I mean, it's like when my nephew, Chris came over here from China, when my nephew, Jonathan came over from China, they both were killing it on chopsticks at like four years old. How is that politically incorrect? How is that something to be offended about a Chinaman with sticks? They do use chopsticks. That's not like racist. How is that racist? Oh, you drew him as Chinese. Yes, because he's Chinese. It's okay to understand Chinese people look different than other people. It's okay to understand that black people look different than other people. It's okay to understand Native Americans or First Nations people look different than other people. It's not, it's not racist to portray them in art that way. What are we going to get mad about every person that was ever painted and they painted them black? That they painted them Native American? Oh, they shouldn't have done that. We're ignoring our differences now and nobody can express them? Offended about anything. Offended about anything. A Chinaman with sticks. You guys should all write that in the comments to see if our broadcast, get, broadcast gets taken down. A Chinaman with sticks. <laughs> How are you offended at that? How are you offended at that line? How are you offended at that picture? A Chinaman with sticks. I'm just saying it as many times as I can to see if I get flagged. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's because we have a whole culture that's offended about everything. They're offended. Have you ever met somebody that's so quick to take offense that they can't even take a compliment? Linnan did it. A Chinaman with sticks. <laughs> Said he, Melissa Fry jumped on board. A Chinaman with sticks. <laughs> Jackie Blake. <laughs> Bonnie Acosta. A Chinaman with sticks. How are you offended about that? How are you offended about that? <laughs> Liz, Leslie, um, how are you offended by that? It's crazy. Have you ever met somebody that's so offended all the time about anything that they even get offended? <laughs> they even get offended at compliments. <laughs> oh man. It's like, you ever had somebody who's like, man, you look, 
You look really nice today. What are you trying to say? I don't look like look nice every day? What's your problem? Why would you say something like that? Now I'm going to be super insecure every other day I come to work. It's like, really? I was just telling you you look nice today. <laughs> People are so offended that they get offended about everything. Can't control themselves. Just living in constant offense. And it's a, it's a stupid thing because then we feel like we have to walk on eggshells. <laughs> people are still writing it. We have to walk on eggshells around all these people so that we don't uh, offend somebody. Even if it's not offensive. They're just choosing to be offended about everything. I, I don't like that. I, I literally, I cut that kind of relationship out of my life. I won't, I won't surround myself with people that take constant offense for the same reason that if you're around somebody that's constantly offended, then what's going to happen is, is that they're going to be in that same, what, what will offense end up leading to? It can lead to anger. But what does it do? Offense is also taking you out of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Somebody put that in all capital letters. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Put it in. Put it in the comment. Forgiveness. You're called to forgive. You are called to forgive. I'm going to put this in the... Uh, I'm going to put this in for you guys. Um, the book of Colossians. Uh, and I'm interested to see how the ESV renders this passage. The book of Colossians, uh, listen to Colossians 3.13. I don't know why it's not underlined. I do a lot of reading in my Kindle, so, or my olive tree, so I'm not always on my analog Bible. Let me, let me read it to you. Colossians 3.13. It's more than saying sorry. Um, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Let me read the verse before it because they go together. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. And I'll read 14 and 15. Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Put it in the comments. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Oh man, I'm highlighting that twice. If we would just adopt this mindset in the church. We would never have any problems. We would never have any problems at all. Let me read those again in verse 12. Put on compassionate hearts. Somebody put on a compassionate heart. What else? Kindness. Just simply be kind. Look at this, humility and meekness. If we would just put those two things on, there'd almost be, never be a problem, ever. And patience, there's the other one. And patience, have patience. Bearing one another, bearing with one another, bearing with one another. And 
If one's got a complaint against another, forgiving each other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Listen to this, the way this is uh, translated in the uh, New Living Translation. It's a more thought for thought translation of the Bible, but it will help you to see this now. Look, it says, clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Man, that's verse 13 in the NLT. Make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance for each other's faults. People aren't perfect. Stop expecting everybody to come up to some perfect standard like people never get in the flesh, like people never are carnal. And you know, if you want to be all uh, super godly on me and be like, well, the Bible says we're supposed to be perfect as he is perfect and people should be perfect all the time. If you're going to be like that, then I hope you've never, ever stepped into your carnal flesh a day in your Christian life. Because here's the thing. If that's the case and that's the expectation, then what's the purpose of Paul by the Holy Spirit giving this instruction to the Colossians? What's the point of making allowance for each other's faults if we're never going to have faults? If no one's going to ever step into their flesh, say something they didn't mean, do something they, they shouldn't have done, act in a way that they shouldn't have acted. What's the purpose of the command from the Holy Ghost to make allowance for one another's faults if there's never going to be faults? There will be faults, and he's writing to Christians, there will be faults in the church among Christians, plenty of them. But our call is to make allowance I taught on this one time in the broadcast and I called it a buffer, a friendship buffer, a friendship buffer. People aren't going to be perfect. And so put a buffer, put a buffer between you and somebody's failure. That buffer is making allowance for one another's faults. I understand people are going to mess up. I understand people are going to make mistakes. I understand people are going to step out of the spirit and into the flesh when they shouldn't sometimes. Make allowance. Don't cut people off or get offended or get angry. Make allowance. People aren't perfect. We all have flesh. We're trying to get past the flesh. We're trying to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Make allowance. Make a buffer. Just by making that buffer, you will literally, oh man, hit the bell. Just by making that buffer, you will give yourself the ability or a safety net, if you will, from falling into one of these mentalities, whether it's anger or whether it's offense, disappointment, you will make a buffer that keeps you out of these mentalities. It's such a wise thing to do to <laughs> the bells are going up. The, the, it's such a wise thing to do to keep the buffer in place. Keep the buffer in place. <laughs> Leslie said, I'm too invested in this literal count now. <laughs> I have to put it up every time. Keep the buffer in place. Uh, put it in the comments. Keep the buffer in place. It'd be a great uh, slogan for a t-shirt. Keep the buffer in place. Keep the buffer in place. If you'll just do that, you protect yourself from disappointment, from hurt, from offense, from anger. 
Keep the buffer in place. I know people are going to fail. They're going to fall. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to talk and say things they shouldn't say. They're going to act in ways they shouldn't act. I'm not going to stop loving them. I'm not going to stop praying for them. I'm not going to stop. You see what I mean? I'm keeping the buffer in place. I'm keeping the buffer in place. That keeps me out of offense. Keeps me in forgiveness. Keeps me in a place of forgiveness. Hallelujah. Hmm. It's so important to forgive. So important to forgive. I've watched people live in unforgiveness and it eat them away inside. They become bitter. They become lonely. They, they, they literally shut themselves away from other relationships and other people. They put themselves in a place of danger, really, spiritually, because they won't forgive. Not only, it's not just that your faith stops working. It's that like, it eats away at you. Bitterness does. You lose relationships. You're all alone. Why? Because you can't get along with anybody because you're offended and now you're insecure and you're scared about the fact that somebody else is going to mistreat you. It destroys you. It destroys you. Did I say it again? Didn't even catch myself that time. It's like a, that's three on the day. So offense. Number four, the fourth mentality you got to get out of. Insecurity. Don't be insecure. Don't be insecure. Well, that's easy for you to say. It is easy for me to say. (laughs) Don't be insecure. We say, how do you do that? Part of what the Holy Spirit helps you to do is it turns you from that place of insecurity, a place where you're unsure, it turns you to a place of boldness. Turns you to a place of boldness, confidence. The Holy Spirit gives you that. The Holy Spirit gives you that. You know, I look at the life of Peter. We saw it with Peter. Is that he went from being afraid to confess Christ, denied Christ three times. He would not confess his relationship with Christ. He was, he was scared to confess it. He was embarrassed to confess it to being the first person to confess it on the day of Pentecost, even though there were far more men mocking and looking on 3000 or more. And they were pointing at the new believers and they were, uh, those that were being filled with the Holy ghost, they were mocking them saying they're drunk and looking on. He was the first one to get up. It was a transformation from scared and insecure Peter to bold and confident Peter. What's the only thing that changed? He got filled with the Holy Ghost. He was baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. He changed from insecure Peter to bold, confident Peter. Amen. And that's the thing. God wants us to operate in boldness and in confidence. You you realize that's how we have to even, even when we pray, That's how we have to approach the throne of God. The Bible says, if you've got your Bible, you can look at it in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter four. 
Uh, Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then with confidence, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Do you realize the devil will try to keep you in insecurity, timidity? Why? So that even when you won't even approach the throne in prayer, because you feel insecure about where you're at, you feel guilty, whatever it might be, the devil keeps you there. But when we approach the throne of grace, we don't approach with insecurity. We approach with confidence and with boldness, knowing the one who we're approaching is our heavenly father who loves us and gives good gifts to those that ask him. Matthew seven. But then, you know, it's true because when you, when you even study the letters of Paul, Ephesians six, listen to what Paul prayed or asked the church to pray for him. He said, uh, verse 18, 618, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And verse 19, also for me, Ephesians 3, 19, all or 6, 19. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. Look at that. Opening my mouth boldly. So the key here is Paul knew God's desire that he be bold, not insecure, not scared, not timid, bold, confident of what he was called to do. And that's exactly how we have to be. We have to get out of insecurity. Do you know, one of the things that keeps people uh, insecure is, now this is important, so you got to catch this principle here. Believing what people have said about them versus what God has said about them. It matters who you listen to, matters who you believe. Believing what people have said about them versus what God has said about them. That will put you in insecurity. Believing what people have said about you versus what God has said about you. What do I mean by that? Well, people say you're a failure. People say you're good. People were raised this way, by the way. There's parents that have told them. They've had parents that have told them, you're good for nothing. Yo, hey, listen, if you don't, if it wasn't for you, I mean, you, you, every time you do something, you make a mistake. You can't even make anything. You're, you're always, that's how they grew up hearing stuff like that. You're a problem. You're a, you're a serious problem. You're a, you always, and like literally they grew up with parents talking to them like that. I said that again, literally it's four. They grew up with parents talking to them like that, saying those things to them and that wrong seeds going into their spirit. Then they had people, people at school, people up front, whatever, got around the wrong people who verbally abused them, told them they're nothing, nobody, whatever. And you, and you, it's no wonder that if people believe that stuff and they don't step into the spirit, yeah, they're going to, that's how they're going to be insecure. That's what they're going to believe they are. That's what they're going to believe they are. I am good for nothing. Every time I do try something, it fails. I shouldn't try things anymore. I should just move out of the way and let more qualified people do the things that I'm, and they'll start living out of that insecurity. They won't try at things. They won't attempt things for God. They're insecure. They won't step out by faith. They won't try to manifest God's presence. Insecurity. 
We need boldness. We need confidence. Number five, the fifth mentality you got to get free from depression and heaviness, depression and heaviness. I know Mackenzie, it is the power of words. They literally shape things. They shape things. And, and what I'm saying, let me go back before we get into depression. If you don't define who you are through scripture and not through the words of men and women, you'll always be in that place. Define who you are as a Christian, as a new creature in Christ Jesus, by what the Bible says you are and not by what people say you are. God is the one who defines you, not men, not men. I'll give you an example. Think about uh, Jacob. His mother named him Jacob, which means deceiver and supplanter. (laughs) And if you look at that, you know what's crazy? That's how he lived the majority of his life, deceiving and supplanting. But then he had an encounter with God, wrestled until the morning with God. And the name was changed from deceiver and supplanter to Israel, the one who has uh, wrestled with God and prevailed or strived with God and prevailed. It's a whole different mindset. It's a whole different name. It's a whole different identity to the point where at the end of his life, when it was time to bless his grandsons, Bible says Jacob was old and Jacob was failing and Jacob talking about who he used to be. And then when they brought in his grandsons, the Bible shifts his identity and says, and Israel sat up and strengthened himself. Hallelujah. Because when it's, when it's time to uh, accomplish your purpose, you have to identify with your spiritual man, your spiritual identity and not your natural carnal identity. It's a powerful thought. Number five is depression and heaviness. It's a mentality that will caught myself. I almost said it. It's a, it's a mentality that will keep you in a place where you don't move forward. I've said this many times on the broadcast that I I was reading, um, a book by Dr. Jonah Berger. He and his team did 10 years of research. They went over every emotion. They were surprised to find that every emotion a person has drives them forward into taking action, except for depression. They're not even Christians. They're not even Christians. They're just secular uh, teachers and, and, and researchers researching these things for the purpose of a business book. And we're blown away to find that every emotion drives people forward, except depression. It drives you backward, causes you to recede and isolate yourself. The Bible calls it a spirit. It's a spirit of heaviness. And we are called to walk in joy. We are called to walk in joy. Joy is a fuel. It's an empowerment for your purpose. It's a strength for your life. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's a fuel that propels you forward. Isaiah 55, 12, you shall go out in joy and be led forth by peace. So joy is a fuel that pushes you forward in your purpose. It's a strength to complete your calling. It's no surprise to me that depression shuts you down isolates you and keeps you from moving forward in life. You've got to be free. You've got to be free. Joy. It's true. Sissy said it's physically healing. Proverbs 17, 22. The Bible says that a merry heart does good like a medicine. 
It's like medicine to your body. Do you realize there's doctors literally telling people? I said it again. Oh, my goodness. It's another one. There are doctors telling people that are full of uh, pressure, full of stress, living those lives where they're burnout. You know what doctors are telling people now? You should probably find a, a hobby that you really enjoy. You should probably find a hobby. Get the, get the heaviness off your plate and the things that cause you stress and do things that bring joy to you. Do things that make you relaxed. That's literally, oh my goodness, I can't stop myself. I can't stop myself. That, 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 is, that is medical advice. That's medical advice. Do something that takes the stress off of you. That'll be $300. It's probably much more than that. I mean, do something that takes the stress off you is medical advice because even they understand we have stress-related illnesses in America and around the world. Stress-related illnesses. All these things. And, and we, we understand that it's, we understand that it's a spiritual thing. Jen, we're going to pray for you. Postpartum depression, anxiety, Constantly fight. I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, touch Jen right now by the power of your spirit. I lose joy and peace. Somebody pray with me for Jen. I lose joy and I lose peace to overcome. I take authority over depression and anxiety commanded to go by the power of the Holy Ghost. Be free in Jesus' name. Amen. Depression. You got to get free from depression. In God's presence is fullness of joy, Psalm 1611. Stay in his presence, stay on it. In his presence, fullness of joy, fullness of joy. Activate his presence daily with praise, with worship, with prayer. In that presence, fullness of joy. Number six, the sixth mentality you gotta get past, fear, fear. God's not giving us a spirit of fear. It's not from God. God does not cause you to be afraid. Absolutely not. If fear is coming at you, a spirit of fear is never from God. And I don't mean like the Bible uses this term, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's talking about reverential awe, that I reverence him, that I respect him, that I honor him. Doesn't mean I'm afraid of God. It means I, I'm in awe, I'm in reverential awe. That's right. <laughs> I was talking about laughing by myself on a porch. That's exactly right. Because <laughs> I just laugh. Don't let fear rule your heart. The peace of God rules your heart by faith. The peace of God. The peace of God rules your heart. Now let me read to you Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Love you, Ted. Don't be anxious about anything. This is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Think, think about this now. The peace of God 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard, will guard, will guard, will guard. Let me say that to you. Peace is a guard. Write it in the comments. Peace is a guard. If we know that these things that we're dealing with here today are destructive in your life, if they're employed, they're destructive. They destroy your purpose. They destroy your, they'll destroy your relationships. They'll destroy your mind. They'll destroy your business, destroy your children. Peace is a guard. It guards your hearts and it guards your minds. A peace that what? Passes all understanding. People won't understand why you're so peaceful. They won't understand it, but you've got the Holy Ghost who is the comforter. That's why you have peace that passes all understanding. Peace is a guard. Let me give you some examples on this because it'll help you. Uh, go back to anger. If you're living in, if you're peaceful, you're not angry. It guards your heart from anger, guards your heart from being offended. I've got peace. I'm at peace with people. I'm at peace in my spirit. I'm living in peace. I'm a peacemaker, I'm not offended. I'm not insecure because that makes me anxious. I'm not depressed. I'm not fearful. Peace guards me from all these other things. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. It guards me from all these other things. I don't need to be afraid of anything, anything. And so I love that thought that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds by faith. Why do you think the devil works so hard to pull you out of peace? It's to keep you in a place where you're unguarded. I refuse to be unguarded. Anything that steals my peace gets removed from my life quickly. I'm being totally honest with you. <laughs> Love you, Caitlin. Anything that, that steals peace from me, it gets removed from my life immediately. Melissa said, how do I get there if I'm full of anger? Melissa, one of the things you've got to do, and it really, and Melissa, I'm, the things that I'm saying to you now are with the understanding, I don't know, but that you are a believer, that you're a Christian. If you are a Christian, you start to realize through scripture that by the Holy Spirit's help, you have self-control. You have the ability to control your actions, to control your thoughts. You can take every thought captive that you can actually bring them into submission, your thoughts. And one of the things I dealt with earlier, you may have just jumped on on YouTube, but one of the things I was dealing with is the thought that we have to make a decision to forgive those, even the ones that we have a right to be angry at, those that did hurt us, those that did abuse us, those that did, you know, stand against us. Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to those that spitefully use you. You understand that we have to make a choice to forgive them and forget. It doesn't mean that you go back in. You know, here's what people miss about forgiveness. I can forgive somebody, which I will, which I always would forgive. But it doesn't mean you step outside of wisdom because you forgave somebody. If you're around somebody that can't help themselves, that they get, every time they're around you, they get angry and then they get physical with you. They get angry and then they throw punches. They get angry and they get in your face. I forgive you, whatever. 
But I've also, I'm going to use wisdom. I'm not going to hang with you anymore. I don't have anything against you. I'm forgiving you for what you've done in the past, but now I'm going to guard myself against this happening in the future because there's too many important things to do in life to continually put myself in that position and have to deal with it over and over. What am I doing? Protecting my own peace. You still got to use wisdom. Even the world understands this. You know, if you go to AA and you're a recovering alcoholic, according to the world, you don't go back and hang out at bars. You don't go hang around with people that drink. Why? You're keeping yourself in wisdom, cut off from the thing that's going to try to destroy you again. And so just because I forgive doesn't mean I forget in that way. It's not that I'm holding a grudge, but I understand the issue that person has, and I'm not going to participate with it. I'll pray for you. I love you. I forgive you, but I'm not going to spend my time with people that do not control themselves in that way. You see what I mean? And so, yes, you have to forgive those that have wronged you and get out of that. Um, yeah. And that's true. Uh, Charlie, I think that's Charlie. I'm more of more, but it's not just about the other person. It's about you releasing something that's taking control of your thoughts and actions. Exactly right. That's the point I'm making. It's, it's more for you because it's more for you than it is for them. Because you know, it's funny. I've had, I had somebody come up to me and you know, I joke a lot. You guys know that I joke a lot. And sometimes I may say something that's in a, in a joking way that somebody may have taken to heart and I'm only kidding around, but somebody that may not be used to that kind of joking may take it to heart, take it personally. I've had people come to me and say, you know, I, I, uh, I just want you to know that I've, I've forgiven you. I held it. I held it in my heart. You said such and such back when we were teenagers or we were at a youth camp or years ago or whatever. And I want you to know that I forgave you. I didn't even remember what they're talking about. I'm sure like I was just joking around or whatever. And somebody like just got quiet and kept it in their heart and then held it against me and literally, or, or it was like festering in their heart for three years. I don't even remember saying it. I had no ill feelings toward that person. I have, I had nothing against them. I, I, I like them. And I found out later, I thought, man, this person like was holding something against me for like three years. You know, it, it's not for me. I may have done something that offended you. I didn't mean it to be offensive. Oh, and I said it again. I can't stop myself. I may have done something that offended somebody, but I didn't mean it to be offensive, but they still took it that way and kept it in their heart that way. So them forgiving me is not for me. I don't have anything against them, but it's for them because they're holding it in their heart. Forgiveness is for you, not for others. It's for you, not for others. I like, um, and this is somebody you won't necessarily hear me quoting on the broadcast often, but I did, uh, either see or hear something that pastor Stephen Furtick preached or put on social that I thought was a very, very good thought. He said, um, of offense is an action, but offended is a decision. Offense is an action, but offended is a decision. Pastor Kim give, I forgive you. I'm so sorry. I don't know what I said. Offense, put this quote in the comments. Offense is an action, but being offended is a decision. So what I mean by that is somebody can commit an offense against you. They can commit an offense against you. That means they did something. They committed the offense, but 
after they're done committing their offense, I now have a choice. Will I be offended at the offense they committed? And so their, their, their action of offense does not automatically mean you have to be offended. So what are you doing? You're choosing to forgive. You're choosing peace over drama. And I can't stand people that thrive on drama. I don't understand it. I don't know why they have to always have something going with somebody. Their life is like rap music in the 90s. They always have to have beef with somebody to sell albums. I don't don't understand. There's always got to be a problem. I don't want 90s gangster hip-hop mentality in my heart. I don't want that. I don't want to live like that. Always have to be, did you hear what happened with me and -and so-and-so? It's like the first thing they start talking about when you get with them. Did you hear what happened with me and Tammy? Did you hear what happened with me and... It's like, no, I didn't hear about it and I don't want to hear about it. I have no desire to hear about it. At all. And so, stay out of that and stay in peace. Fear is a killer. It's a killer. And you you have to literally get out of it. Oh my goodness. I will be free, guys. There will come a day I am free. I will be literally free. Let me give you three more before we pray today. I can't believe this. Let me just take a drink and reset. Wow. Nancy said a 20 year offense. She prayed with somebody. Yeah, that's a great thought, Mackenzie. If everyone around you is a problem, you're probably the problem. I've told people that. Thank you, Lena. Number seven. This one might make you laugh, might step on some toes. A cheapskate mentality. Cheapskate mentality. Don't be a cheapskate. That'll keep you from being blessed. Don't be cheap. Stop being cheap. Child of God. Christians aren't supposed to be cheap. They're supposed to be generous. Cheapskate mentality. Cheapskate mentality. Don't be that person. Be a generous person. That's one of the things that really, it bothers me, man. Getting around people that are cheap skates. Pinching every penny aren't generous. Don't be cheap. Stop being a cheapskate. My wife's laughing. It's true. Cheapskate mentality. Pinching every penny, clipping every coupon. It's ridiculous. And there are people that, I like what Dr. Leroy Thompson said when he came to our church one time. He was like, you know, there's people that'll go out and they'll buy, uh, my wife's going to give me a hard time about this. But there's, it's a poverty mentality. It's, Dr. Thompson said, there's people that'll go out, they'll buy 10 $100 suits. And they, they, he said, instead, why don't you buy a $1,000 suit and feel what it feels like to wear the best? 
and then take that $1,000 suit, feel what it feels like to wear the best, keep good care of it, be a steward of it. There's people that go and buy nine pairs of $20 shoes. You know what I mean? Buy a nice pair of $180 shoes. Looking at you. No, I'm just <laughs> oh, you know what? There's <laughs> I'm messing with it. But in all honesty, got to buy the off-brand goldfish for the kids' church to save money. Cheddar whale. <laughs> They're not goldfish. They're cheddar whales. <laughs> oh, Lord. Just said, I hope my husband's listening. That's why I buy Kate Spade purses. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Fruity rings instead of Fruit Loops. You know what you saved? You saved 30 cents. You saved 67 cents. There are people that will drive to the other side of town to get gas because gas over there is 231. But gas by your house is 239. Can we do the math, please? 231 versus 239, you saved eight cents a gallon. And if your car has an average of a 20 gallon tank, guess what you just saved? You just saved $1.60, $1.60. You drove all the way, <laughs> don't be offended back there, I'm teaching on a fence, okay? <laughs> Literally, don't be offended. Um, see, there's some folks that can't take jokes, they don't like them. They don't think they're necessary. <laughs> it just. <laughs> they, they get bent out of shape. I'm not going to say who, but they storm out of the office. They storm. <laughs> oh, Lord. But you hear what I'm saying? 231, 239. You saved $1.60 on a 20-gallon tank. $1.60, and you drove out of your way 20 minutes. Don't be a cheapskate. Be a generous person. I'm not saying you got to do things that are unwise, but don't be so strapped down to being, you know, it's like you, you have a God that promised you abundance. You can walk in abundance. You can live in abundance. And the, there's a difference between being wise and being and having a poverty mentality. There's a difference between being wise and having a poverty mentality. There are people that have a poverty mentality, but that there are others that are wise. It's okay to take wise actions financially. Nothing wrong with that. But the, the gas example is a poverty mentality example. The cereal example is a poverty mentality example. You understand that, don't you? I mean, you save 67 cents on a box of cereal because instead of buying Fruit Loops, you bought Fruity Rings. 
That's a poverty mentality example. 67 cents. I was going to pay 199 for these green beans, but I got a coupon in the paper and it takes them from 199 down to 139. Oh, really? You just spent all that time making me wait in line because you don't clip your coupons till you get to the checkout line and I'm standing there waiting behind you and you just saved 60 cents on green beans? It's a poverty mentality. Poverty mentality. It's one thing to use wisdom. It's another thing to live in a poverty mentality. And you've got to be generous, but you also have to not be cheap. Don't be cheap. Don't be cheap. And it's one thing if you're taking everything that you're saving and you're putting it towards the poor. I get that. Carolyn says, Ted doesn't have a poverty mentality. I can attest to it. Add to freaking cart. I don't just add to cart. I proceed to checkout. I add to cart and I proceed to checkout, folks. No, but seriously, it's important to know. It's important to understand that. God's called you to live in abundance, in overflow. That's not the way that you're, you're supposed to be living. And I understand if you're on your way. I get that. I understand if you're making ends meet at this moment. I get that. But that's not where you should be for 20 years. <laughs> you, have, you have to step out of that, step into the principles. You know, that's why I dealt with this. Was it yesterday we did the, was yesterday the abundance principles? Why some never, why some Christians prosper and why other Christians will never prosper? Go back and watch that if you wonder what I'm talking about. I talked yesterday, seven things that'll keep you from never, they'll keep you from prospering forever. Because people won't do them. Well, then you have to have a poverty mentality because you never have enough. You never have more than enough. You got to get out of that. God's looking for generous people, generous people. He's looking for people. Uh, the Bible says that the heart of the, the, uh, the generous person, the generous person is the one who will be blessed, not the one who withholds. The Bible says there's one that withholds and it tends to poverty, withholds, always withholding what's due, always withholding. Generous is what God's looking for. Generous. Amen. Amen. And you got to live that way. Let me give you two more, and then we'll pray. Eighth mentality you got to break disloyal. A disloyal mentality. There's no loyalty. And that would deal with honor disloyal, dishonorable mentality, a disloyal, dishonorable mentality. What do I mean by that? Someone just talked to me, a pastor had a person. This wasn't just a congregant. It was a person that had been in their church, faithful in the church, in leadership positions, has been given opportunities to lead, was coming up, doing a lot of things. And then gets one text message. The pastor gets one text message. I won't be coming back to church anymore. What? You were just in leadership. You've been given the opportunity to minister to those in the church. People have, you're visibly doing things for the church and you don't even have the honor. You don't even have the cajones to set a meeting 
and sit down with your pastor and talk about what's going on in your life. Most likely, to be honest with you, the person's in sin. That's why they're ducking out. That's most likely. It's usually what happens. It's usually what happens. But don't even have the uh, loyalty and the honor to meet with your pastor, to talk to him, the one that's been praying for you, the one that's been fasting for you, the one that's been teaching you and training you and guiding you and raising you up in faith, the one that's been perfecting you, like the Bible says that pastors do, all ministry gifts do, for the perfecting of the saints, and you don't even have the decent honor or loyalty to meet with him and his wife and talk to them about what's going on. Foolishness. Straight fools. And you wonder why people are destroyed so easily. Because they're fools. They're fools. They do foolish things. They do dishonorable things. They do disloyal things. And they dishonor God's house. And they dishonor his word. And they wonder, I don't know why things are falling apart. I can tell you why they're falling apart. I can tell you why they're falling apart. And we live in a dishonorable, disloyal society. Don't be like the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't talk about people behind their back every time you get around somebody that likes to talk about people. I mean, all these, all these different things. Don't, don't do that. Don't treat people dishonorably. And don't be disloyal. You have this happen all the time. It's like you want you like really wonder, man, you know, that's you've heard that old phrase with friends like that. Who needs enemies with friends like that? Who needs enemies? It is a sad thing. I mean, it's ridiculous. Then you've got the leader there thinking to myself like, man, what else could I have done to help that person more? What else could I have done to keep them in a place to protect them from those foolish decisions that will ultimately destroy their life? doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Makes no sense. And it's, it's a mentality that needs to be broken. Integrity is what the Lord's looking for. Loyalty and honor. Loyalty and honor. It's exactly what he's looking for. Let me give you number nine before we pray. Hopefully this doesn't step on any toes. Mentality number nine, not yours. Trust me on that. Number nine, a lazy mentality. A lazy mentality. God hates laziness. He loves diligence, production. He loves workers. People that are willing to do the work. (laughs) Do the work. God can't stand lazy people. I've, I've done broadcasts on this. We've talked about it. Proverbs is full, full of woes to the, to the lazy. I could read you Proverbs 6. Consider the ant. They don't have anybody driving them all the time. Nobody's behind the ants with a whip. Get back to work. Get back to work. No, they don't have to do that. They don't have to do that. They understand the importance of production. God's looking for productive people, not lazy people. A little, a little folding of the hands, a little slumber, poverty will pounce on you like an armed robber, the Bible says. 
Do you see a man that's diligent and skillful in his work? He'll stand before kings. He'll not stand before obscure men. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Diligent. God's looking for diligence. You've got to be a diligent worker. Reading Proverbs made it imperative. I wake up early and start my day with the Lord first thing. It's very important. It's very important. Be in the word of God. Be in prayer. Prepare yourself for the day. Very important. But also, as you're doing, every, that's why I love this verse of scripture where the Bible says, everything that you do, do it as unto the Lord. Can we break that down real quick? Everything that we do, do it as unto the Lord. What does it mean to do it as unto the Lord? It means do it as though you're doing it for him personally. Well, I don't like the boss at my job. Too bad. You're not working for the boss. You're working for the Lord. You should be the most diligent, uh, effective essential worker on your job. You should be the person that the boss is like, man, we can't get rid of them. Whatever we do, we can't lose that worker. We can't lose that worker. You got to be the most effective, the one who's the most equipped, the one that's putting in the extra, the one that's like, man, what? why? Because you're the most diligent. You're not the one showing up 20 minutes late in the morning and leaving 20 minutes early, even five minutes late in the morning, five minutes early. You're there before the bell. You're there after the bell. You're diligent. You're the problem. That's right, sissy. You're the problem solver. You represent Jesus. You absolutely do. How sad is it? How sad is it that if you have a person who's a Christian, you got sinners showing up on time and working harder. And the one that's always talking about Jesus and bringing their Bible into their job are the ones that are always showing up late. The ones that always have an emotional roller coaster attitude. The ones that are always leaving early. The ones that can't bring their emotions together. Why is that? Don't, don't represent Christ that way. Don't represent the kingdom that way. Be diligent. Be the one who gets the promotion because you're the, now you don't just have favor. You're the one that's in line for it because of your diligence, your efficient work, your effective work. You should be the most efficient person on your job. You've got the Holy Ghost as an advantage. He teaches you all things, the Bible says, which means there should be nothing on your job you can't learn or understand because you've got the Holy Ghost and the mind of Christ. You've got it. You've got the advantage. You've got the advantage. And if you've got the advantage, that means that you should rise head and shoulders above the rest. If you're honoring God in your life, you should rise, not fall. You should rise head and shoulders above the rest. I look at, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel, they weren't the only four that were brought to the capital. It was the cream of the crop of all the young men in the kingdom that were brought to the capital. There was a whole group of them. But when they decided to honor God, when they decided, you know, one of the things they decided to do to stay diligent to, the, to their God is that when they were offered the king's diet with all the other young men in the kingdom that had been brought in the cream of the crop, they said, actually, we're not going to partake of the king's diet. We're going to, and I believe they just chose vegetables and water instead of the king's meat and his wine. And you think to yourself, well, um, 
Why would you do that? You know, and the guy, the, the guy that was in charge of all the young men didn't even want him to do it. He said, if I let you do just vegetables and water, and then you go stand before the king and you're scrawny while everybody else is well filled out, he's going to blame me. And they said, well, let us just test it then for a while. He said, well, I'll let you at least test it. But you ask yourself the question, well, why didn't they want the king's meat? Why did they do vegetables only? Because they were not sure. This wasn't a God-fearing king in that way. This wasn't a God-fearing king. They came in and they said, we don't want to eat it because we're not sure if it had previously been offered to idols. And if it had, or fully drained of blood. And if it had, they would have been breaking the law of Moses by eating meat that had not been fully drained of blood or meat that had been previously offered to idols. And rather than risk sinning, they just said, we're not going to partake at all. Man, you think about that for people eating meat in the Old Testament and compare that to people drinking alcohol today. I mean, that's not what I'm teaching on, but I want you to just think about that. These guys weren't even willing to eat meat. Not because they knew, because there might have been meat offered to idols previously or might have been meat that hadn't been fully drained of blood. But you know that you can easily drink to the place of being drunk and people don't care. Well, give me my, that's my Christian liberty. I'm going to drink anyway. They were diligent to do it as unto the Lord in the Old Testament. And God, look what happened. And after they had done what they decided to do to stay faithful, when they presented themselves, guess what? They looked head and shoulders above the rest of anybody else that was brought in. They were the cream of the crop of the cream of the crop head and shoulders above the best in the kingdom because they chose to honor God. They did it as unto the Lord. And I'll tell you the same thing will be true for you. That as you make a decision, everything that I will do, I will do as unto the Lord. You watch as you lit. Oh, I caught myself there. I almost said it caught. I'm being delivered as we're doing this broadcast. Uh, (laughs) you watch as you're lifted, raised head and shoulders above the rest. As you see promotion come, as you see increase come, why just out of your diligence to the Lord for the representation of what God is in you, the Holy spirit who gives you your advantage, who causes you to rise you know, cause you know, he's, he's the one that causes you to, you can't cause yourself to rise. The Bible says promotion doesn't come from anyone on the earth, not the East, the West, the South. It comes from the Lord comes from the Lord. He decides, he decides who will rise, who will fall. The Lord does. And so I'm encouraging you because laziness is the ninth mentality that has to be broken. Do you know what's sad to me right now? You've got people because of the pandemic and the lockdown that are still, they're able-bodied people. They're well able to work. They're well able to go back to a job and they refuse to go work because they would rather collect their check that the government has made available than to go back to work. And if that's you and you're watching this broadcast, shame on you. Get back to work. There's people that are like, we're trying to hire people. We're trying to find workers, but nobody, if you get a better deal staying home and taking the government's check than you do 
shame on you. Get off your couch, wipe the Cheetos crumbs off your cheeks and get back to work. Get back to work. God's looking for diligent, faithful people. I know that. That's what I'm saying, Leslie. Making more money on unemployment. That's going to be your identity. That's going to be who you are. Get to work. God's looking for faithful, diligent people. (laughs) Wash those orange fingers and get to work and watch what God will do with you. I want to pray. I mean, some of these may have hit hit you today. I'm going to pray for you. But I'm telling you, these mentalities have to be broken. If we're going to see that kind of increase, blessing, promotion, come upon our lives. Somebody asked if I could go back through the nine quickly. Number one is a victim mentality. Number two is an constant anger mentality. Number three, quick offense mentality. Insecurity is number four. Number five is a depression. Number six is a fear. Number seven, cheapskate mentality. Number eight, disloyal, dishonorable. And number nine, a lazy mentality. Abraham, I'm coming to Texas twice this summer. I'll be in Dallas, Arian Rowlett, Texas, and I'll also be uh, in Tomball, Texas, outside of Houston. Carrie said, just heard, uh, overheard a young able-bodied guy at the restaurant say, uh, I just applied for unemployment. I don't really want to work right now. I want to take this time to relax and discover myself. Good for you. Hope you find out who you are. Let's pray. Father, I'm praying now for every Victory Tribe member watching, listening. I pray that today you would open their eyes. If there are things, Lord, we don't want to come through June and come to the end and find out that we're out of position for promotion. So Lord, open our eyes, show us things that we need to quickly change so that we can walk in excess, abundance, blessing, purpose, and be right where you need us to be in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I pray in, the, in Jesus' name that you would give us the boldness to break through Every one of these things, I don't care if it's been ingrained in us since childhood, the way we were raised, let us see it, identify it and stand up in the power of the Holy ghost to break it quickly in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you and we give you praise in Jesus name. Amen. If you believe it and receive it, throw some fire in the comments section. Hallelujah. Everybody that's hanging with me on a on a Friday, throw my legs up. Uh, hanging with me on a Friday in my slides. We're giving you an opportunity to sow seed toward this ministry. And uh, many of you are partnering with us. I'm going to encourage you to partner if you're not partnered. We're getting ready to leave tomorrow. Crusades, got meetings, revivals pla- uh, planned all throughout the year. We want to see you live. But you're not only standing with us as we do that. But also, as we preach the gospel around the world on television every week, we're feeding the hungry, we're touching people through uh, media all around the world. It's an amazing thing, the doors that God's opened. 
And so, there's the information on the screen. MiracleWord.com, all the ways to give. You can find them there. And if you're sewing $85 or more this month, we're going to be sending you Brother Hagin's book on biblical keys to financial prosperity. It will open your eyes. Biblical keys to financial prosperity. It's an awesome book. Absolutely. It's one of the must-haves for your library. If you already have it, there's other options you can choose in the drop-down. Go to MiracleWord.com forward slash offer. You'll see it. And then, of course, the Elite Study Collection boxes about to ship out. If you'd like to have one, it's for people that have stood with us $5,000 or more, stood largely, and we appreciate every one of you that's done that. We love you guys. Throw up that house one more time. Throw up the Shuttlesworth Manor over in Lancashire, Burnley. Look at it. Look at that. I'm telling you, there's coming a day, I believe, we're taking the Victory Tribe on a trip to go stay. We're going to have to change the name of it from Gothorp Hall to something else. Look at how beautiful that place is. I'm not saying that your seeds today will not go towards buying me a shield and a sword and a horse. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the place is amazing. The place is absolutely amazing. I love being with you guys on here, man. Love every last one of you. Love spending time with you in the morning. Carolyn, Lady Carolyn Shuttlesworth. It's going to be back at 2 p.m. Uh, for her broadcast today. And uh, you're not going to want to miss it. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be good. And then tomorrow we're headed to Scranton and from there to Texas. And it's going to be awesome. We would love, love to see you in person. Look at the emojis. Horse, shield, sword. Thank you, Sir Shuttlesworth. <laughs> love spending time. Listen to me. If you'd like to stay connected with me via text message, put your contact info in my phone. We've made a way for you to do that through the website. Go to miracleword.com forward slash text. And if you'll go there, there's a form that I put on the website where you can put your contact info directly into my phone. And then we can stay connected via text message. And it's the best, best way to do it. Not social, text. And I can't wait to hear from you. And you'll hear from me as well. It's always me texting you. It's never a bot. Somebody actually sent me a message. They're like, wow. You actually see the respo our responses to the bot. I said, well, the, the bot's a good friend of mine, and we spend a lot of time together. <laughs> At this moment, I don't have any pop-ups available in Massachusetts, but of course, October, we're coming back to Crossroads Community Church for fall camp meeting. Can't wait to see you at Peckville. Love the Peckville family. And um, all the information's online. I love you. Download the app. It's a free app. If you don't have it, all the info, all the content, everything we've got for you, the TV, the kids' videos, the prayer points, different series, Miracle Word Radio, all the content is in the app. Search Miracle Word in your app store and, uh, and grab it for your phone and tablet, and uh, let's do it together. I love you. Have a great weekend. I'll be back with you on Monday. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.